93.73 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This hour brought to you by Backrack, the only newer recovery robots in South Jersey. You know your right to access the most advanced rehab available today. Visit Backrack.org for more information Daryl Reynolds, D-Ray, talking NBA. Sixers getting ready soon to get back to camp, we hope. Daryl Reynolds, of course, uh, from the uh, Processed Podcast, which you can get on all podcast platforms. And, of course, a member of the 2016 national champion Villanova Wildcats. He joins us to talk a little hoops, a little NBA. Now, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated wrote the other day, that he feels that the Sixers might be the best equipped team to come out of this pandemic. And I'm interested to get D-Ray's thoughts on this because D, he believes that teams are going to be rusty coming out of this whole pandemic and getting back into live action. And he thinks that style will suit the Sixers who are a, you know, they want to do uh, a lot of uh, roughing it up and kind of bully ball. So do you agree that there will be ugly, sloppy play at the beginning of this uh, basketball return and that that could help the Sixers out? I definitely think it'll be some ugly play. I don't know about resting on that completely and expecting that to be the only thing that gets us through. Uh, I think the beauty of this is if Joel Embiid is working out six times a day, then he should come back good. A week. and Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like he should come back solid. He should come back good. But also, they just had a chance to reset, man. You know what I mean? This season's been rough to say the least. But I'm hoping that between their time to you know reset and their defensive mindset, that they can just get out there and make some noise during this whatever you want to call it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I guess the theory was that a lot of teams rely on the three point shot, and if you're going to rely on the three, and you've been sitting out for a couple of months and getting back in, and then you're going to have empty gyms, uh, that that could cause a lot of ugly play, and that that kind of plays right into the hands of what the Sixers wanted to be, a team that was more bully ball than it is finesse ball. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, you know, me and Bro talked about this this morning, like, Elton Brand has said a million times, you know, this team is built for the playoffs, this team is built for the playoffs. And I got to throw he's alluding to the fact they're a defensive mindset uh, type of team. You know, a lot of guys are defense first guys. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the playoffs, you really need that to get you through as opposed to having a great regular season. So thank God we got to kind of skip the, the ugly regular season we was having, and now we get to see it. But uh, I think the beauty of also the Sixers right now is it's put up a shut-up time. They are really in a position to, from Ben Simmons, making sure he has a good postseason so he doesn't get labeled as a guy that disappears in the playoffs, to draw and be, you know, finishing the process, Brett Brown coaching. There's so many guys on this team that are in a position to prove themselves. I'm hoping that that added pressure kind of helps them. Now, Chris Mannix also had a little other um, conversations throughout his SI piece, and one of them, Brett Brown was discussing – a real fear of his, and I want to get your opinion on it. So it says here, a real fear is the question of if guys want to be there. None of us can dismiss that. It's human nature. Coming out of a pandemic, to assume everyone will be gung-ho about going would be very naive. Do you think it's possible that there are some Sixers players on that roster that are just going, eh, I don't know if I feel like going back. 
I hope not. And if it is, I hope they're not in the Sixers uniform next year. Like, at the end of the day, this team has a great – I don't know if it's a great chance. A good chance to make some noise, you know, in the postseason, especially after this rest and having a chance, like I said, to kind of, like, clock out and kind of reset. Uh, and anybody who's not for that and doesn't see it as an opportunity to – if not win a championship, at least make some progress and build some momentum for going to the next season. I really hope they're not, you know, on the team next year because you got so many guys, like I said, John B. We all saw the pictures of Ben Simmons he's putting up. You got so many guys who seem like they're just ready to just go, you know what I mean, go out and prove. So I hope not. Yeah, and I, hopefully soon enough we'll be able to talk a little bit closer about, like, the rotation and who's the odd man out here because uh, I think Brett Brown's going to have some interesting um, decisions on his hand. But I guess the one question will be with Ben Simmons, do you anticipate him coming right back and being a 35-minute player? I mean, Brett Brown, is, as you guys kind of indicated, you know, he was kind of like, ah, we'll kind of see, but I don't know. Do you get the feeling that Ben, that they're just kind of like – being extra cautious with that, and then once they get them, that they're not going to be able to take them back off the floor. Because I know we don't like to look at videos, uh, but Ben seemingly is working out, playing, dunking, landing, doing everything that would suggest that he's ready to handle the full load. Yeah, I really hope those minute restrictions he's talking about and kind of edging him back in, I think is the way he said it, or you know, kind of giving him a little bit by a little bit. Is this a matter of precaution, but also kind of letting him get his footing and letting the team get used to playing again. But I can imagine them, like you said, he's out there dunking. He's putting up these pitches. He's definitely put on some weight. I talked about this with bros this morning. Like, you can't do that stuff, you know, with a back injury. You can't do half of those things with a back injury. So I'm hoping it's more just precautionary because I can't imagine him not being fully ready to play. It's just a matter of them working him back into the rotation. But these dudes have had how many months off at this point? You know what I mean? It's not like there's some grand scheme that all of them have figured out. So I don't see how it would hurt by giving him, you know, maybe 20 minutes to start off and then working it back up to about 40. What are your thoughts on the whole mixed messages part of things? Because Jackie McMullen reported about a couple months ago or so that there was no pain, Ben Simmons would be fine, and then Elton Brand said that he's optimistic about things, and now Brett Brown is saying, I don't know if he's going to be 100%, we might inch him back. So I just feel like there's a lot of messages going on, and what are your thoughts about that? I really hope it's the Sixers, you know, under-promising to make it over-deliver. It's no secret this organization has been – a terrible job at this point uh, over these ever past decade, honestly, about um, injuries. You know what I mean? I believe John B. A million times they say, oh, he might be good or the foot's okay or hit this, this. It's like, all right, just give us a straight answer. We all know what happened with Markel Fultz. And if you go back before them, you know what I mean, Jaleel Okafor and guys like that just having these little nagging injuries and the way they communicated it. So I'm hoping they learned a lesson in this situation. Like, listen, let's just say it's terrible. So if there's anything north of that, everybody would be great and they'll shut up. But as opposed to saying he's going to be good and, you know, he's not. Uh, Daryl Reynolds with us, host of the uh, Process Podcast. Of course, a uh, member of the 2016 Villanova Wildcats National Championship team. Talking uh, a little Sixers and NBA, as we will, leading into the NBA season. Uh, do you think that a focused and Joel Embiid at the top of his game when he is focused and ready that he is a player because you look at teams that win championships D they have the best player on the court you know LeBron James Kevin Durant Steph Curry you don't Kawhi Leonard you don't win a championship unless you have a guy who is essentially the best player at that time right now 
is Joel Embiid at his best capable of being that player at this stage of his career? No. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, Can he get there? He's so young in the game. Yes, I, I think he absolutely get there. But I think the thing a lot of people forget about John Bede is he's 26, correct? Uh, he's in that range. Yeah, 25, 26. Right. So he's 26, and he's really only 10 years in the game. Like, it sounds crazy to say that. We're talking about Joel Embiid. We're talking about a future Hall of Famer. You know, call it what it is. But he's still figuring things out. I don't think that he can be at that at the snap of a finger. I don't think that he can be at the – not consistently – you know, what I mean, obviously the frustration from the crowds criticizing them and some of the other greats in the game criticizing them, you know, might help put a fire up under him a little bit to get it together for a game or a series. But to be that day in and day out, it's going to take time. I mean, I think everybody thinks that we're at the end of this process. Like I said before, it's, it sucks to say, but he's still figuring things out as great as he already is. Just allow him to continue to figure it out. A lot of these guys don't hit their strides in the NBA until their latter 20s, because at that point they understand what the game is. They understand how to use their body. They understand their limits. And it's still going to take a little bit of time. Like I said, I don't think that he can be that just yet, but I definitely think he can get there. Now, what are I the guys? will get there. What are the guys that you've played with, you know, uh, that are in the pros now, what do they say to you about how difficult that is? changes in terms of the college game you know we see a guy you're like man this guy was the best college player why can't he bring that game to the pros what do most of the people that you know that are playing professionally in the nba tell you that what what the biggest adjustment is and why they can't dominate the pro game like they did the college game fact that there's like no slouches every time it goes up in high school you might have one kid who's head and shoulders above everybody else, and it's just not even a fair fight when that kid gets out there. You know what I mean? In college, you can have a guy who's he's pretty good, but there's some other guys competing with him. But when you get to the NBA, everybody was that guy, you know, from the previous level. And because it's like the epitome of competitive basketball, because you have so many different types of players and different styles of play meeting up in this one place, you get to a point where you almost don't have any nights off. It might seem like it to us because the NBA and the regular season seems to kind of slouch some time, you know, here and there. But a lot of guys say that next level in the NBA is like guys do not miss open shots. You know what I mean? The athletic guys aren't just kind of dunking. Like, they're flying. You know what I mean? The guys who are known as defensive specialists, they don't slip. They don't take a, a playoff. They're just constantly on it, constantly on it, constantly on it. And it's really just keeping up with that pace that a lot of them seem to – struggle with in the early years as we saw Joel B, Ben Simmons and a million other guys do before we let you go we had a conversation the other week about our favorite jerseys and one of my favorite jerseys it didn't make my list but I did enjoy them was the black Cleveland jerseys with the sleeves awful now what are your thoughts D-Ray on the <laughs> sleeved black jersey with the Cleveland Cavaliers C on it Girl, I, I I gotta go, my man Bros on this. I loved it. It looked oh. like something a superhero would wear. This wasn't planned, I by the way. It. I just want to make that well, clear. I like the logo. This wasn't planned. I like the logo, but the sleeves on the court is a no go, man. This, I know that something about the sleeves. It just it just ties it together a little bit more. Me and Bros were talking about it. Like it's just something about the damn sleeves that just. Ah, <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. With that look, man. especially that C. It was it. 
I watch those like 85 Georgetown Villanova game and I see Pat Ewing rocking sleeves down to his elbows and I'm like, come on, man. You got to be better than that. It's down to the elbow, but they cut it off right at the shoulder slit, <laughs> and it's a little t- – it just looked like something like Aquaman uh, or Captain America would step out in, man. I love it. Uh, Daryl Reynolds, D-Ray on the NBA Thursdays here on the Sports Bash as we continue to get ready for the resumption of the NBA season. All right, man, we'll catch up with you soon. All right, fellas. All right, he's uh, like all guests appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Uh, at Dre, the director on Twitter. Give him a follow there for more, and check out the uh, Processed – podcast when's that drop uh one drop this morning actually yeah now we did not plan that conversation where did that question come from a random question about the calves jerseys all right we might have planned it all right well i well i I mentioned i'm not that dumb uh, well i don't know man (laughs) no we i mentioned it i'm gonna (laughs) ask you about the calves jerseys (laughs) that's not what happened we were just casually hanging out after the podcast was over and i mentioned jerseys i'm like dude i love those black jerseys he was like me too and i said wow you're coming on today i got ripped a couple weeks ago maybe i'll toss you a layup and see your reaction i don't know was it that bad um no i mean i just i'm surprised he liked the sleeve he also mentioned the warriors ones too yeah yeah i remember the warriors yeah were they the only two teams that rocked them no i think that there were a couple that did but those were like the big ones that it pops more than the others uh, Daryl Reynolds, of course, uh, a member of the 2016 national champion Villanova Wildcats. He was a uh, nice player on that team. He's also um, a co-host of the Processed Podcast with Broads. Earlier, and uh, I want to address that somebody texted in that suggested that the reason the DH was formed was because pitcher hitting is so pathetic. That's actually not true. The DH was created as a gimmick because American League games were not getting, not drawing well in attendance. So they had to come up with a gimmick because they knew that the National League game was a better game. So that they created this gimmick, which was the DH, to try to gain fans at their games. That's why the DH was created. And the reason they're thinking about the DH, as my buddy texts me right now, has nothing to do with making the game more fun. It's about getting more money for another player. Uh, the union wants to add the DH because they want to be able to get another player money. They want to be able to say, this guy uh, is hitting in the lineup and he deserves more money. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking as well when we were kind of discussing it was, now you add another player, and now you look at what he's going to make in the contract, and then you got agents in play. I mean, what it is is it's another way to create some sort of revenue for some of these parties involved. But it is interesting because I do understand that, look, it doesn't really generate more offense. It doesn't. The numbers will tell you that you do not score enough of a difference in runs to make it this big debate. But it is weird how player by player there is a difference when you when you look at pitcher and player, for the most part, I know that there's there's some guys out there like Bumgarner and and Jake Arrieta who can hit, but for the most part, you got pitchers who hit under 100 and things like that. It is weird how player by player, when you look at the comparison, it is totally different, but that doesn't relate to scoring more runs. It just it's interesting how that works. 
I was um, I don't want to say I was shocked or surprised. I thought that the American League games had a little bit higher scoring. I didn't realize it was as close as it was. That it's not even a full run. It's not even a half a run. It's a tenth of a run. It's four point five runs for American League teams and four point four runs per game. For National League teams. I think a lot of this is like osmosis or uh, like... It's like a placebo. A placebo. It's not osmosis. Placebo. <laughs> uh, I, I have the osmosis of all these stats rolling in my head from from reading about the DH today. Uh, it's a placebo that because that batter in your mind is a has more potential than the pitcher does, then... He, there must be more offense, but it's not generating more offense. And I think one thing that we touched on as well is, you know, there's no big poppies anymore where, okay, you're playing the Red Sox and big poppies, the DH, because he can't move out in the field. The way it's utilized now is, you know, you might actually see a scenario where Adam Hazley is the DH because they're going to give him a day off in center field or Andrew McCutcheon's the DH because they're going to give him a day off in left field. Like It's just a rotating position at this point to give guys off in the field and then throw them in there. But that's where it goes back to, you know, imagine if JT isn't playing behind the plate one day and he's your DH. Well, imagine JT being your DH over having an Aaron Nola at bat. And that's where I can kind of see why, okay, well, how about a JT or a McCutcheon or a Hazley getting those at bats over the Aaron Nola? So that's where I, I do see the other side, even though I like the NL more. Without the D. I certainly understand the premise and the thinking of it, but at the same time, those three guys can, if they all had the day off, let's say they had the day off, they could also get entered into the game as a pinch hitter or in a double switch. So they still have a role. In the American League game, let's say your best player has the day off. There's not really a time where he is going to be reinserted in the game. If he has a day off, he has the day off. Like it's those nine guys playing. But on a day where. Let's say McCutcheon's not playing, and he's not the DH. Obviously, this is a National League game. He could get double switched into the game. He could pinch hit for the pitcher and then stay in that spot in the lineup and then get two at-bats in a game. So he still could potentially have a role in the game, and it adds a lot more to the game. Like, if he's in the nine-hole spot and the pitcher now moves to the three-hole, now that three-hole is constantly going to be filled by somebody else because that pitcher in the three-hole is never going to bat. Now, how many runs more would the AL have to score? Like, how many more runs? What would the run differential be where you would look at it and go, okay, you know what, maybe they have a case? Because I think me and you would both agree. Oh, I they, would say two. Okay, because I was going to say, if it was an AL-NL situation where the AL scored one more run per game, we would both take the strategy over that one run per game. But at some point, you would have to look at it and go, okay, you know what? They are producing way more. There is a lot more offense. So you go with the number two. So two more runs per game, and you would agree with the whole DH scenario? Uh, no. I, I, I don't like... Well, I know you don't like it, but at what point would you say, okay, I this makes sense for me to at least understand why they're doing it because right now you don't even understand because the runs aren't any different well i understand why they why they did it in 76 the american league was struggling to draw attendance no i mean why the nl is going to the dh oh i know why they're doing it the union wants to get another player paid it has nothing to do with the game itself there's nothing to do to say the american league game's better than the national league game the union wants to get another guy paid money. 
So if they can say that Adam Hazley, he's only going to play 50 games a year as a platoon player, but now he's the DH, meaning he is now playing in 130 games. When they go to get him a contract, the union can get him more money. This is a money play. The DH is about getting the union. The DH is about the union getting their players more money because the DH gives them a guy that they can put his stats onto the table and say, look, Adam Hazley played 130 games. He had 250 at-bats as opposed to 130 at-bats. That's all. Yeah, it I understand that. has nothing to do with the game and making the game a better product. But I do think, at all. But I do think, see, you, you would say that it's not a better product, but I do think that there's people inside baseball that would disagree with you that will use that as part of their spiel as well when trying to push the DH that isn't money. Like, I think that there's people inside be- inside baseball that like the idea of DHU outside of the money argument with the union would actually say that it is a better game and it is a better product that are using that side of the argument. If they had the runs that you just brought up, if they, if they, were, if they were outscoring the National League game by a run, a run and a half, then yeah, they might say, look, it's a better game. We're getting six runs a game in the American League and you guys are scoring four runs a game over there. What I think what they would do is, and, and Josh actually pointed this out to me about a year ago, and it still sticks in my head. So good for you, Josh. You said something that uh, made a lot of sense. If you're trying to prove a point, especially in sports, you will always find stats to support your logic. Mm-hmm. So those well, people I will, will, say. will find a way to make it so, look, the DH is providing blank. Because they will just search for whatever stat that they want. Well, you know as I, mean? I said, people kept coming with me today, and everything they brought to me, I had the stats to say they were wrong. Again, it's a placebo to them that because it's an actual batter, they think the numbers are better. But every situation that was brought to me, the numbers didn't back up their statement. But I think if if we're diving like way deeper, and I mean way deeper into baseball analytics that we can't even kind of get into because it's way over our well, head. What's something? Okay, and I, I don't know. I, you're I, a I'm bad just... person to ask because you're kind of not a DH guy. Right, exactly. But what is something that people think that the DH adds that is that makes it significantly different or better? Well, because it doesn't generate more runs per game. The games aren't shorter or different. The times are about the same. There's more pitching changes in the American League than there is in the National League, which I was even surprised by. Uh, the average amount of time between pitches, almost exactly the same. What is something that is so obvious numerically to say this number here makes my argument for the DH? The attendance figures aren't there. There's no difference in attendance. That's why the DH was created to begin with. I just checked it. My buddy, see, the DH was a gimmick to try to generate fan interest. And he said, yeah, because offense generates fans. I said, but they're not scoring more runs. It didn't generate the offense they thought it would. Well, I would say if someone's going in there with something other than runs per game and things like that is they would do something similar to kind of how how I approached it to play a little devil's advocate yeah, is man. they would bring 
pitchers' batting averages, and then they would bring other players who have way better averages that play a DH position, and they would say, this is why it's better. You're getting a 285 hitter or a 245 hitter. Let's even go down to that compared to someone who's hitting 100 all the time. That's how they would try to... And I'm look, I'm just looking for other avenues outside of money and the players' union on why someone would try and change baseball because there are people inside the sport that I'm sure enjoy the DH more and they're trying to dive deeper into this is why. I don't know how anybody... I'm looking for those answers. That's all. I'm just looking for them. Well, again, I, I think... If you are an American League fan and you watch American League baseball, you're probably not watching a lot of National League games, and you just feel that there's more offense because there's a DH in that game. But it's not true. That's the point that I'm making is you might just only be consuming American League baseball and you only consume the DH all the time, so you just automatically feel this is more entertaining, it's generating more offense, but you don't even watch the other game. It's like the ignorance of... Jim Schwartz. Hey, the left tackle stinks on our team. Well, did you watch other left tackles in the league? They're worse. People in the American League think that there's more offense because they have the extra hitter. But the numbers don't back that up. Not that I disagree with you guys, but to emphasize the point that Hunter said I made a good point about earlier, which I appreciate any compliment. What I was the right point there. again? Well, if you're looking to support one of your answers with stats, you can always find oh, stats okay. that yeah, support yeah, yeah. what you're trying sure, sure. to say. So people skew stats to make it seem like, you know, they are they are correct. So, for example, the four top run producer teams in baseball last year were all American League. Yankees, Twins, Astros, Red Sox, and there was one other team in the top ten. You go by batting average, you also have all American League teams near the top, including the Astros, the Twins, the Red Sox, and the Yankees, and two other AL teams in the top 10 as well. So, theoretically, yes, there are a handful of American League teams that are higher than National League teams in batting average and runs. The problem is it's the same four. Almost every hitting category you can pull up, it's the same four. So is it really that it's American League teams that are better hitting teams to the DH, or is it just because the four best teams offensively in baseball just happen to be in the American League last year? That's or a great point. Or yeah. there's lousier pitching in the American League. Well, that's true. I, I think it's more because those teams are just stacked. I mean, the Yankees have yeah. a ton of money to spend. The but someone who is fighting for the DH, they can use those stats to their advantage, and then we both know that, well, guess what? It's not resulting in more runs, it's so not. what are you doing? Exactly. That's the thing. Those four might be the best four, but then... Everything else equals out after the top four. So if someone who outside the players' union is trying to argue that inside baseball, I think that is an example of something they might try and pull up to go with, hey, we need the DH because of this. I don't agree with it. But. <laughs> Text in your thoughts, 609-403-0973. Sports Bash brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today, Matt Black Kia. 6211 Black Horse Bike EHT. The headlines on the other side, and they're changing almost every second. The headlines are baseball in, out. What is it? Bleeper, get off the pot, baseball. Listen tonight at 5 p.m. for another MGPT Top 5 at 5. 5, 4, 3, 3. What will be number one? To see what Mike and Pete are ranking tonight. Got a topic? Text it in. Get in touch with the Sports Bash. Send a text message, 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Micah Broads at Broads81 at Mike Gill Show. 
Got a lot of DH questions and texts coming in on the text board here. We'll get to the headlines first, though. What do we got? Uh, headlines is dra- is sponsored by DraftKings. We have another full weekend of golf ahead of us in DraftKings Sportsbook. America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting you in the center of the action with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, even hole-by-hole live betting. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions throughout the weekend. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're going to actually uh, start with some hockey. Hockey. Yeah, it looks like Edmonton, Toronto, and Vancouver can be a hub city in NHL's return-to-play plan. Now, if you had to choose... One of those three cities, which one do you think you would uh, enjoy Toronto. the most? Yeah. What kind of well, Va- is that? well, Vancouver is beautiful. I know. It's picturesque, but it's not got more going on than Toronto does. I mean, well, if it's a if it's a hub city where you're you got to be quarantined, it's Did not you as see in- how fast he rolled over yeah, here. I know. You brought up the reason why Vancouver. I've been saying Vancouver for a while because Vancouver's where a lot of television shows and movies go to isolate from the world to show their, produce their television shows and movies so there's nobody running on on set and not to deal with any other issues. Vancouver is already made so you can go there and be isolated. That wasn't so the if question. you're worried about having a bubble environment for hockey, that's where you should go. Well, I think that's the big thing here is if you if you told me these three cities with everyone being normal, you can go to these bars and towns, well, I think the obvious answer is Toronto. But because you're in a little bit of a bubble, Maybe Toronto, what are you going to do there if there's nothing really open? Well, if I'm in a bubble in any city, I wouldn't even know what city I'm in. I'm in a bubble. Yeah. But I'm I like mean, in the Truman Show. I'm in the same city every day. But, but imagine being in Cleveland compared to Vancouver. I mean, now you're in two different atmospheres in your bubble. How would I know? Oh, come on. You, you don't know. <laughs> I'm in a bubble. It's not It's not like you're the bubble boy. <laughs> I was thinking about the bubble boy. I'm surprised it took you that long. No, I mean, I we are, you are well, a Seinfeld. I was fellas. trying to set up a better joke for the Bubble Boy. I couldn't think of a good one. Well, I beat you to it. I just I didn't have a good Bubble Boy reference for the Bubble Boy. I mean, it is the Bubble Boy. I mean, yeah, but I mean, if I'm in the Bubble City in Vancouver, but I'm stuck in this bubble, I'm not really appreciating Vancouver. No, it's that's like when very I'm at true, Disney but... World. I'm in Orlando, but I'm not really in Orlando. I'm stuck in this bubble at Disney World. Right. Disney World is technically not even in Orlando. It's outside. I think it's in Kissimmee. Well, it says here, the NHL had said a city in Canada would not be chosen if players are required to complete a mandatory 14-day quarantine currently in effect for people entering the country. So you, if you have to be quarantined, you're not allowed to use an NHL city. So that seems to me like these cities would be out of play. It's interesting you mention that, because I don't know if you guys remember, about a month ago, Woes reported that after all the sports leagues met with the government and their ongoing task force, that apparently the U.S. government promised all the sports leagues that they would personally help them get players back into the country. Is it possible maybe the NHL has a promise from the Canadian government that's similar? It might be. I mean, it does seem that way. I don't understand how if the, if the 14-day quarantine is mandatory, if that's the case, then this shouldn't even be a discussion to begin with that Canada should be in play. 
right? I mean, it, it just seems like if that is what's going to happen, which it seems like it is, you're going to have to quarantine if you have it. How can you even question going to Edmonton, Toronto, or Vancouver? There has to be some sort of agreement then, right? There has to be some sort of agreement between the NHL and Canada about logistics. I go back to the question of last week. For some reason, Canada always just gets lost in the sauce on everything. What is going on in Canada? What's the difference between where they are with COVID-19 and where we are? They're I mean, we lower. can't get out of our own way with this thing. Canada has not had half the problems we have had with COVID-19. I mean, so... Their infection rate is almost two and what, times lower. What did they do to stop the spread? What have they done in terms of staying at home and quarantining and social distancing? I don't know what Canada's policies have been. I know whatever our policies have been have been awful. All I know is, recently though, I'm pretty sure there's been a lot going on in Canada with their version of protest as well. So it'll be interesting to kind of see the numbers in a couple of weeks, as we kind of alluded to that. Are there? Are they going to spike? Are we going to spike? Well, they are they not going to spike? But we are, even though we're doing the same. You know who's thing? spiking? We are. Us. Yeah, we are. You know who's spiking? Nobody else. Correct. You know who's spiking? Idiots. You know who's not? Smart people. Yeah, but then this doesn't make sense, though, because they were filling the streets protesting as well. So how is it we're going to spike and they're not going to spike? Because they were already past it by the time they started protesting. Correct. We were not. We were still in the midst of it. And by the way, other states in our country were allowed back to do what they wanted to do well before the protesting. Correct. Oh, I understand. A that. month before so, the protesting. Right. You could have been you could have had people in protest that live in Minnesota. Maybe they traveled to Georgia. Maybe they went to Florida for a couple of days and then came home and then protested in Minnesota. That's the problem. When you have one state that can just do what it feels like doing, and then the next state over is doing something completely different. And this guy says, you know what, my state's closed, but that one's open. I'll go over there and hang out because I can. And then he goes back, and then, oh, guess what? I'm the guy who ended up getting it, and now everybody in my neighborhood has it. And that's the difference. Canada had a uniform policy across the country. A uniform policy. What do you know? Yeah, Look, you know. I, I just think that there's so many mixed messages on what's going on right now. So the people in Toronto had to do the same thing as the people in Vancouver. Yeah. Isn't that how it works? So, well, you would think that's, sense, that's right? a, a way to approach this, yes. Uh, well, whatever we've done to approach it has been an unmitigated disaster. No, I'm not disagreeing like DH, with you right, at all. It's, it's DH-esque. <laughs> well, the DH the has similar numbers. The handling of the coronavirus numbers. by the leaders have been DH-esque. Yeah, but the DH numbers are the same. The coronavirus numbers, they're, they're not the same here. Terrible. Yeah. All right, well, we'll stick with hockey. This well, the be... bubble yeah, hockey situation, I'm surprised that three Canadian cities made the list because of this. Why would Canada want people coming there that might have coronavirus? Do you think money has a lot to play mm. into this? Uh, what, what, I, what kind of money can be generated by having these games in your city? Maybe future. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I honestly do not know that question because if things are shut down, it's not as if it's got. It's not like the Olympics or something where all these people are going to go to that place because you're in your bubble. So maybe it's something where people. But I guess see having Vancouver. the teams there, they might spend money. Right. Absolutely. And then people see Vancouver and maybe they're going, oh well, hey, how about we plan? Vancouver looks beautiful. Why don't we plan for something down the road? I don't know. So this is something Bobby Marks brought up about a month ago. So when it comes to sports, no matter what the team sport is. There's a budget for travel. But if all of your budget is spent in one place, you actually save money in the long run. 
So for the NHL, like any sport, if they go to a bubble city, they got to pay X number of dollars for hotels, amenities, players get per diem. You know how that works when you played hockey. You know, the team says, here's your here's your food money. Good luck, you know. And there's all kinds of stories about players. They lose some of that money due to betting, which is another story. But um, there's a point where the teams have to spend money somewhere. And if it's all in one city, that city gets that money. And all these people go back to work in that city. So you're guaranteeing employment for people in that town. As Keith Smith has brought up, the Disney employees are excited for the NBA to come back because it's guaranteed work for them. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, you're getting a little bit of society back in that specific region. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's why. But it does raise concern that, hey, we're bringing in all these Americans who are going through all these problems right now, and we're going to have them in our country. But if they've all been tested and they're all clean, then what does it matter? Well, that's my big thing with the whole NBA thing. It's when you look at their bubble, People are afraid that Florida is kind of rising with numbers, but if they're all tested and they're all negative no, and they're the all problem. going in a bubble, here's the problem. What happens now? Are the workers that work at Disney World in the hotels and all those people getting tested? Oh, I yes, would imagine so. Are. Absolutely. The Disney okay. policy yeah. is they have to be checked every day for symptoms that are being who's, tested. Who's and who's testing them? Disney. So Disney and the NBA are going to have a deal worked out, obviously. Right, but the Disney people are being tested separately than the NBA people. The NBA is paying for their test. Disney's paying for their own. All right, test. well that's that's a big step because I, I was I'm kind of surprised to hear like Disney's going to administer coronavirus tests for the cleaning lady, the the uh, concierge, the lady at the front desk, or the man at the front desk, or the guy who brings your luggage to your room or brings food uh, delivers food to your room well, that all or the comes bartender. Back to money. So it's if it's you know how but much that goes money back is... to the point of yeah you don't know where that guy was. Like that guy who's the bartender is he getting tested every day? I would assume is yeah. every bartender working at this bar going to get tested every single day. Every and if he day doesn't, everyone he is goes home and lives his life and you don't know what he's doing and then he goes to work and he's bartending and it's like hey I was out partying in Jacksonville the night before. Oh, and 19 girls at this bar that I was at all had coronavirus, and here I am at the NBA bubble. Well, do you think that those people are bubbled? That That's if they're, the wor- if they're working happen. at Disney World to be in attendance while the NBA the NBA teams are going to be there, people are going to have to work to I don't want to say serve them, but service them in terms of make dinner, um, be. You know the hotel. Yeah, but are they the bubbled? Are they bubbled in there as well? Is that like, hey, you can't go? Oh, back I would home. think not. Well, I don't know. I, maybe that's part of the deal. Like, hey, you get paid this much more, but you can't leave. Maybe the NBA has something worked out. I don't know. Maybe they get tested every single day when they come into work. They get their test. You will what know, and then it? you'll get sent home if uh, if you are positive. I, I don't know the answer to this question, but what does it cost to do the testing now? Like, if you're going to say, I'm testing my workers every single day, what kind of expense are you putting into this if you are testing, you know, the concierge or the front desk person or the valet parker? I don't know. It's an interesting question because I know the UFC has been doing this since early May where they test everybody in their bubble throughout the whole week. And everybody gets tested. one week. Well, they get tested twice every week. So, and and they say they test you at the beginning and end of the week. They can bookend it, and they can guarantee clearance. Huh. Two times a week. That doesn't even seem like a lot or enough. But you're testing 500 people twice a week. That's 1,000 tests. So what is the cost of that? Yeah, what's the cost of that? Now project that across the NBA and Disney is going to have thousands 
of people functioning. I thought somebody that worked in the building here, this was a while back though, said that their wife had gotten tested and that the employer that she worked for paid, it was like a restaurant, they paid for the testing and it was like a hundred bucks. You're telling me they're spending a hundred bucks every day for on every single person on every single. Well, that's a lot. I would assume that that's in the calculation of how much revenue they're going to be bringing in, what they worked out with with Florida. I mean, I would assume that the testing and the what it would cost is in the agreement when it comes to what they're bringing in money wise, though. No, I mean you <laughs> can't that... just factor that out of the equation. That's probably a huge part of the equation yeah. is how much you're going to get in return to kind of make this work work at all. Do they get a bulk rate? I, maybe. Well, I'm assuming that, first off, ESPN, Disney, they're all together. Exactly. They're the one NBA company. The NBA is partners with ESPN. So I'm assuming that they have some sort of deal going down, like, hey, for staying here and all that kind of stuff. I would have to agree. Absolutely. Yeah, I would have to agree. It'll maybe, be maybe it'll cost less but for them. But that's not the same for hockey. They're not going to a place that their league partner has ownership of. But there have been reports that the NHL, it would be cheaper for them to do this in Canada than America. Well, that's so not is, shocking. Is there is there part of the reason why the NHL is doing this is because they know that in order for them to do the lodging, get the tests, do all the logistics, that it's just going to be less expensive Do they need Canada. to have more than one rink, though, right? Like, the NBA has three arenas they're going to be using here. you got to have more. You can't use the same sheet of ice for multiple games every day. No, you probably... What would that ice be like? It would get ripped apart. I mean, you can Zamboni it as much as you possibly can. But, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be ripped apart, no doubt. Like, if you played on... Like, if there was a game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, could you play another game, Zamboni it up, and play another game right after? Oh, yeah, no doubt. But it's more of a long-term thing. So, if you looked at that ice, you know, five... I mean, because that happens all the time. It's just not NHL players who are heavier and skating faster and whatnot. So... Yeah, there'll be damage over time, but yeah, in, in a in a one-day scenario, if you have a game at 1, a game at 5, and a game at 8.30, could you play that on one sheet of ice in an NHL arena? Yeah, you, you probably okay. could. Yeah. So they probably, though, would need at least two arenas to get, uh, like, I would say you want to try to get six to eight games in per day on the schedule, right? Yeah, you probably something like that. I mean, but they're hopping teams. right into the postseason, too. Remember that. So Think about that. You're going to get a playoff game, and then you're going to leave the ice, and another playoff game is going to come right onto it. Oh, absolutely. It's similar to what we said yesterday where you could be playing a game and look up and Crosby just has his headphones in just watching your game, getting yeah. ready for his game next as if it's a hockey tournament back in Hollydale. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. But I want to move on to the next one because it's, it's still hockey. And it's it's the Seattle expansion team is still trying to figure out all kinds of stuff. Do they really want to play? Well, they have to figure out their team name and with the pandemic going on. Isn't there's a their lot team happening. name easy? What do, you, what do you want them to be called? The rain. You want them to be called... The Seattle Rain? Yeah. That's not... It's not bad logically. I just don't know if that's cool. The Rain. The Rain. So is it just going to be like a... Th a thunderstorm type cloud with rain falling on their jersey? You're a, you're a, you're a jerseysman. Yep. What do you think they're going to go with here for a jersey? Um, maybe just a drop. Just a, just a teardrop? It looked like a teardrop one if that's the game. Just one raindrop or a cloud. What, why I brought it up, though, you know, Seattle, I feel, is so disrespected in the sports world. They deserve teams. I mean, they really do. I think that uh, Seattle is a tremendous football town. Absolutely it is. And it was a great basketball town. Uh, the baseball team, I'm not too privy on how they draw or what they do. Uh, but, yeah, Seattle, the problem is it's just so far to get there for everybody. You know, it's so remote. 
Like Portland only has a basketball team. Like they have been like the other uh Pacific Northwest, it's like, hey, what about us for baseball? Like, they've been really wanting a Major League Baseball team up in Portland. You know? Um, but yeah, Seattle is a tremendous sports town. Now, with the Mariners, do you think people... Maybe it pops more than we think it does, but is that more because of the talent on the field, or is it because no one likes baseball up there? Because, look, that, that's a that's a part of the country that I would say probably has a, a good baseball fandom it probably has good baseball fans no question yeah absolutely it's like seattle like that's all they have up there is they're like for the professional sports team like they have college teams and stuff but they're they are like very territorial because they're so far out there about their teams what about the seattle fish the seattle fish yeah Nah, for some reason i i thought like the thunderbirds were in play maybe i am way out there but there was something Thunderbirds or Seattle. They they were throwing out certain situations. I could be way off when saying that, but well, like I, one of the things when you go to Seattle is no, you know you go to the oh, fish mart. You like the you know they throw the fish across. Right. You know. The reason I say the Thunderbirds, there's actually a team for the uh, Western Hockey League, which is juniors up in Canada, and they're the Seattle Thunderbirds. I knew that that stood out to me. Yeah, that doesn't do much for me for a pro team. Well, here's the logo. Well, like the fish market is like the big thing up there. When you go to Seattle, you go to like Pike's Place Fish Company and watch them throw. What's that? That is the Seattle Thunderbirds logo, and, and I know that. It's like the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it's going with there. So you're anti if that's on a hockey jersey. I don't like the name. Thunderbirds. I think that's something that kind of ties in with what they got going up there, though. So to them, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think like uh, the fish market, like whatever the, the big the fish Seattle is. fish market. No, no, whatever the big fish is in that area. Like the other day, we I said, you know, like the Canuck. Like, what's the big fish in uh, the Seattle area? Well, you thought that the Canuck was a dolphin. It looked like a dolphin, <laughs> but like you could have like look at Pike's Place, the fish company. And just put Seattle Fish Market. And you'll see like these. You ever see when Seattle plays on like Monday Night Football and they show the fish getting Absolutely. Thrown? Yeah, that fish needs to be their logo. I'm not against it. They just got to make it cool. Oh, they can make it cool. It just, I don't know what fish that is. What's the fish of Seattle? That should be there. Like when you go to Clearwater. Ah, I can't think right now. 